I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. Working more closely with people uh, has required me to a little bit bend here and there my style. And also, in the previous corporations that I worked with, I would say that talent was more evenly distributed. And, and in a company like ours, of course, we have a talented team, but there are more difference, I would say. And I am not saying this in a bad way, just more, more difference. And, and I have to adapt to different styles, to different backgrounds. Uh, so that has been a, a challenge and also a learning opportunity for me. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, you're going to love today's episode. We have a special guest from Mexico who is also a COO Alliance member. It's great to have another international second in command, Rodolfo Lenzigorda, who is the COO for Lincotech Solutions based in Mexico. Talks a lot about uh, what it's like doing business from Mexico, entering into the United States, what it's like for US companies to do or business with companies based out of Mexico, the different idiosyncrasies between those different cultures talks a lot about um, growing as people and growing the skill sets of people and just really understanding that sometimes the tools that people have at their disposal, they have no training on how to use those as well. Talks a little bit about his experience of being a CO Alliance member and his growth, and then also going from large tech and big consulting firms into a smaller, more entrepreneurial organization of around 100 employees. You'll love the episode. Make sure you also check out our episodes on our uh, YouTube channel as well check out the Second Command podcast channel on YouTube. We'll see you on the inside. So, Rodolfo, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you, Cameron. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, looking forward to, to speaking with you today, to learning from you today um, for a couple of reasons. One, we've been doing the Second in Command podcast now for about four years. We've had just over 310 second in commands, uh, COOs as guests on the podcast, but we haven't had as many international guests as I would like. And you're an international uh, guest, international company, but I want to get an international flair or perspective. Secondly, you're also a COO Alliance member when it's always great to have one of our members. Um, we've got members from 17 countries, but it's great to be able to have you contribute today as well. So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about uh, Linko Tech and, and just tell us about the company what the brand does, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So Linko is a tech solution company. We have primarily two areas of business. One is protection slash cybersecurity, and the other one is digital transformation. And within digital transformation, we do a couple of things. 
we transform the front of the experiences, uh, then we can also provide help with the middle and finally with the back. So we are, uh, I would say, pretty focused on cybersecurity and digital transformation. Our customer base is 80% uh, financial services and 20% a mix of a little bit of everything. Our geographic footprint is primarily in Mexico. Uh, having said that, uh, this past uh, August 1st, we started our second year of operations in the U.S., and we are starting our presence there as well. Interesting. Why the expansion now into the United States? And um, was that just, I mean, I can't imagine you go from Mexico to the U.S. just because it's north of you when there's many other countries out there as well. What was the decision to go from Mexico into the USA? It's an exciting time. And, and I think a couple of things are happening. Uh, one was chance. One of our partners invited us to work uh, in a U.S. project. And one thing led to another. And now we have a very, I, I would say, robust presence in a, in a client there. So that started us thinking about how can we leverage Linko from Mexico to provide services to the U.S. And the other thing that it's happening is uh, I think that Mexico and the United States are in a great position to capitalize the strengths of both countries. So we are excited about future growth, both in the U.S. and in Mexico. Nice. I have a, um, a huge soft spot in my heart for Mexico. I think Mexico has been dealt a very unfair blow by the United States in the media in terms of traveling, and they make it feel like it's unsafe with the cartels. And my wife spent three months in Mexico three years ago traveling by herself and went to 42 cities in Mexico, and none of them were on the ocean. They were all through the middle of the country. Um, I've been down there spending a bunch of time. I'm going, heading down in two weeks or three weeks to San Miguel de Aliente. I don't know how to pronounce that properly, but for my first time to go there, love the country. I've also I've also been paid to speak twice in Monterrey, twice in Mexico City, and once in Querétaro. You guys have a very big entrepreneurial mastermind kind of mindset in Mexico. I think entrepreneurship is very strong with YPO and EO. Do you do you get a lot of like entrepreneurial? Um, growth and lessons in Mexico, or am I just seeing that from an outsider's perspective? Uh, going back to your first point, I do think that Mexico is not uh, properly portrayed globally. Of course, we have problems and challenges as every country, and you should always take care. Having said that, I think that Mexico right now is a thriving economy. You spoke about Monterrey. Monterrey, it's a booming city. Last time I read, it had the lowest unemployment rate in North America, and that's including U.S. and Canada. Wow. The border crossing between Mexico and Texas is one of the most dynamic border crossings with the most volume. So a lot of things are going on. And I think that uh, you actually touch base uh, on three cities, right? Monterrey, Querétaro, and Mexico City, which is basically the highway from Mexico City to Texas, which is the closest border. And along uh, that road, you see a lot of development and a lot of economic growth in Querétaro. Querétaro is now recognized as one of the global hubs for aerospace industry. Uh, Monterrey, it's uh, very famous nowadays because not only Texas, Telsa Gigafactory is setting up shop, 
but also Kiev has a very big factory, a lot of uh, real estate, a lot of retail going on there. I try to visit Monterrey at least once a month. And every time uh, I land, you feel the energy of the city. It's a vibrant city, a vibrant community. And one of the things that I love the most is Tech de Monterrey is one of the biggest private universities in Mexico. And their main campus is in Monterrey. And going back to your point about entrepreneurship, they partner with Venture Cafe, which started in Boston. And it's an initiative to foster entrepreneurial behaviors around the world. Monterrey is the first city in Latin America. I was there for one session and I loved it because uh, there were students, but also proven entrepreneurs and teachers. So there's a very vibrant community. I think that Mexico lacks still proper institutions to ease the creation of more entrepreneurial companies. Mm. Uh, I had a recent opportunity to, to start another business and just opening a bank account was a challenge. So we have a, a, a lot uh, of way to go, but we are getting there. And I, I would say that there's a, an opportunity to really take advantage of the population growth. Mexico is still growing. It has a young and vibrant population. And there are a lot of opportunities to digitize basic services. I think that uh, we are not, of course, developed as the U.S., but there are a lot of opportunities to really think about the current services in their current state and digitize them and provide a better experience. I had a, an advisor here in my previous job. He, he was like the elder of the village, but the eldest of them. And, and he said, Mexico might not have a very, and I'm trying to just look for, 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 the, for the words, our income segmentation is very extreme and, and it's mm, very polar. Sure. But he always said that it didn't matter if you were at the top of the pyramid or at the bottom of the pyramid, the expectations across the pyramid were the same. So it doesn't matter if you live in a rural area, you want an iPhone. Maybe you cannot afford it. But the expectations to have and receive really good services are there. And there are opportunities for entrepreneurs for every uh, road in the, in, in the life to come and, and help us build a better Mexico. Well, I, I want to ask another question about Mexico, just because I'm curious. I've spent a, a little bit of time recently in Mexico and um, a lot of time over the last few years in Europe, because we've been traveling full time for two years now. I know that in Africa, mobile is becoming the way of life for everyone, that everyone is, is buying and selling things using their phone now. Is mobile and our mobile payments becoming more and more the norm in Mexico, maybe even more so than they would be in the USA as well? You touch on a soft spot for, uh, for me because I came from uh, digital banking innovation. Okay. Uh, so, so let me start it. So, so Africa, I mean, what is going on in Kenya with M-Pesa has not been replicated anywhere in the world. And that was uh, the brand. That's exactly the brand that I saw in Kenya a year ago. No, no, it's, it's impressive. M-Pesa, it's a, it's a really standalone because it actually comes from Orange, the UK subsidiary. Ah. In, and, it, in, and it was this idea of how can we help top up phones and that evolved into how can we 
cash in and cash out uh, money because the, the problem really in our economies is cashing in and cashing out, uploading the money to the digital world. In Mexico, a few things happen. So for example, we are more advanced than the US with credit and debit cards. For example, the US uh, until recently changed to the EM Europay MasterCard Visa, EMB payment. Before that, you still sign and I could sign with Lionel Messi and the transaction could go through. In Mexico, we have been using that technology uh, for a couple of years. And the other thing that still perplexes me, and, and maybe you already know about this, if I do a wire transfer in the US, I have to go through ACH. Recently, uh, I have been using Cell and it's faster, but still there are some payments that take three days. Yeah. In Mexico, we have the equivalent of an ACH and really the payments are instantaneous. I can send money, it's called the SPAY, and really SPAY goes through the banking system in, in seconds. So going back to your point, mobile penetration in Mexico, it's uh, close to, I would say, 85%. And uh, we have a very, I would say, excessive usage of uh, video. We are one of the countries that consume uh, the most video YouTube, Facebook, uh, and, and all those formats. Interesting. Okay, this is another question, and this is related to the entry point into the USA, and then we'll go back and focus on Mexico for a bit. You're facing a headwind with being a Mexican company coming into the United States because of the, the media and the bias that has been built up because of politics, sadly. How does a company... Or am I just a Canadian who thinks that that bias is that strong? Is there a headwind as a Mexican company coming into North America, or do the do the clients even give a shit? Do they care? You know, am I overthinking things? We have been very fortunate, and we have let our work speak for us. So I think that has helped us. I would say that if I want, I I could find both extremes, right. very favorable views of Mexico and, and very negative views of Mexico. We do still, we're still refining our story, right? Because we need to really craft a very specific value proposition for our potential customers in the US because it not only is about lower costs, it's about cultural similarities. It's about time zone. It's about the ease that if we need to travel there, it's a four-hour trip max uh, going right. back and forth. So those are the things that we are highlighting. And of course, that has to be paired with a high-quality job. It's also become a, a real big trend in the last 18 months. I think in the last 18 years, everyone was outsourcing to India and the Philippines. And now it seems like everyone's starting to outsource into Latin America. And I think that's beginning to show that we can work together and we can we do business similarly. And as you mentioned, language is easy and the time zones are easy and the, um, the travel is easy. Is there also a benefit? I know this as a Canadian, as a Canadian company that wants to sell into the United States, we have a benefit because of our costs is lower up here. Do you have a benefit of being able to go in and compete in the U.S. because you're a Mexican company and you can sell at U.S. prices if you want to, but you could also sell a little bit cheaper because you're Mexican? We do have uh, some of that. Having said that, technology has been really global for the past 10 years. Yeah. So developers have a global fees 
I mean, you still can find some uh, patches here and there, but there are some Mexican developers that work for Estonian companies or uh, Philippine companies. Uh, and of course, there's a heavy trend here in Mexico to recruit both for the US and Canada. And, mm -hmm. and technology is one of the biggest industries they recruit for. It's funny that you mentioned Estonia. I was in Estonia last year in June and there were robots delivering food running around the city. <laughs> I was like, how is this tiny little city in former, you know, the Soviet bloc? Like, it's incredible. No, it, it, I mean, it's incredible. I, I know little about Estonia, but actually one of my uh, friends just applied for the digital citizenship. And wow. he got it like in two months. It was all digital. And they are trying to attract entrepreneurs. So, so it's fantastic what they are doing. Yeah, filing your taxes in Estonia is 15 minutes online. It's very simple. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so let's tell me tell me a little bit more about the growth of the organization with Linkotech. Um, what what's been some of the success to your growth over the years? So Linko has a, over twenty years of history on its back, and it started uh, the founders started right out of college, not knowing very well what they were trying to achieve, and for the first years they really were. Uh, chasing projects. Uh, I can do this, then they move to the next one. So the happiest day of their life was, was when they sold one project and the saddest day of their life was when that project ended because they, they had no way to connect really the work. So that happened for the first, I would say, 10 years. And around 10 years ago, they started thinking on a more sustainable way to have recurring revenue. And that's when they started partnering with different software vendors to have an installed base. And that has been growing very healthy over the past, I would say, four years. And around five years ago, they decided that they wanted to achieve scale through selling one thing multiple times rather than focusing on services because services is constrained by time, right? My time can only be sold five days a week for eight hours, whereas if you sell software, you can scale it. So that decision also was very important. And my incorporation is part of that plan. Actually, they have a coach uh, that told them that their business was a lifestyle business, that they were very happy. But if they really wanted to grow and scale, they should bring someone with different skills to complement their skills and, and vision. And that's why I was brought in. Okay. And in the time that you were brought in, what was it that had you say yes to joining? And what do you think that they saw in you that, that had them wanting to bring you on board? So I am a mix of consultant and a mix of the industry uh, because I work in McKinsey EY as a consultant. And then I also work in a bank leading the innovation. I think it, it was uh, the right moment for me. I think it was a, a risk that I was willing to, to take. I spoke with my, with my wife and, of course, thought a lot about it. But also, the, the way that Armando and Gonzalo approached me, they were very open, very candid. And, and we had very frank conversations of where the business was today, what was needed. And we have, a, I, I would say, so far, a very fluid uh, way of communicating. I have privileged that 
most of uh, our weeks start with a Monday lunch in which the three of us uh, touch base, uh, get to know us better on a personal level, but also uh, on, on the business vision. And they have been very supportive. Both of them act as co-CEOs. And also that has been a change for the company, right? Because people used to call Armando or call Gonzalo and now they have to go through me. In the beginning, it was a little bit choppy and people went directly to them. But they have been very, very uh, supportive and everything has uh, been a throwback to me. Well, how many employees are at, uh, at Linko? Close to 100. Okay, so you're going from, from large organizations, bigger, bigger kind of corporate organizations to a fairly mid-sized, but still fairly entrepreneurial as well. Yes. Was that some of the nervousness for you or, or the decision is to, to kind of go into that? And how have you had to adopt or adapt? How have you had to adapt your, your style as a leader and, and a business going into more entrepreneurial organization versus a more corporate? Sure. I mean, uh, going back to your first point, uh, the size is completely different uh, from what I am used to working. So this is a fairly uh, smaller company. Uh, the challenge attracted me a lot. Because even though they have uh, gotten very far, there are a lot of things to do. And I'm having fun thinking about the strategy and matching up the structure and thinking about the processes. So, so the challenge and also the ambition. When we spoke, uh, even when we were speaking about where did we see Linko, the more we spoke, the more the ambition grew. And that excited me, the possibility of contributing to that uh, vision. Your style has had to change, I would imagine. Have you, have you struggled at all with changing your style or leadership style, or has it been easy for you? You know, that's a, a, a super important thing because I would say that in my previous career, both as a consultant and working in innovation, even though I managed teams, I had a lot of alone time, right? And now, working more closely with people uh, has required me to a little bit bend here and there my style. And also, in the previous corporations that I worked with, I would say that the talent was more evenly distributed. And, and in a company like ours, of course, we have a talented team, but there are more difference, I would say. Uh, and I am not saying this in a bad way, just more, more difference. And, and I have to adapt to different styles, to different backgrounds. Uh, so that has been a, a challenge uh, and also a learning opportunity for me. And how, when you came into the organization, there were already there was already a leadership team and a management team in place, correct? So yes. when when you were going into that organization, there must have been a few people that wanted the job that you got. There must have been some. Was that part difficult at all, or maybe not even so much difficult, but? How did you work to not upset the people that were already there? Uh, very carefully. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> because, I mean, initially when, when I joined, I designed like a PR campaign, right? I had lunch with all the heads and got to know them on a personal level and got to listen to what they were thinking and got to listen to uh, what they were missing and their frustrations. 
So I spent quite a lot of time just listening and trying to connect with people. Uh, my overall sense is that my reception has been very positive within the company. Of course, there's always uh, diverging views, but fortunately, there has not been that many. Interesting. Okay. Did What was your first 90 days like or first even 30 days like coming into the organization? Well, like a, a, a hurricane, right? Because a lot of things coming from different areas, right? So, so sales and, and you need to be on a sales meeting, but also on, on a HR meeting. And, and one of the developers quit at a very important project and one of the customers is pissed. So just trying to make sense of all the cops that make the machine work require a lot of attention. Also, one of the things that I am working to institutionalize and improve are the information system. The information system was, I would say, not only pretty basic, but pretty artisanal. And it was hard, right? Trying to see what were the sales last week? Where are we going? So I have been working on that to really have a very easy to use and navigate dashboard for me to know what levers to pull. Getting to know people was also one of the, the key things that I spent time. So in these first 90 days, I had a lot of in-person events. Here, the pandemic in Mexico, I would say a lot of companies still are remote. Our company is primarily remote. And after the pandemic, there were not that many all-hands uh, physical so I, I, I had those in, in those first 90 meetings and, and telling the story, right? We spent a couple of sessions just telling the, sto the story. We crafted a Linko 2026 vision and that was our rallying call, right? This is uh, the end of one chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. I'm going to be participating and leading in this new chapter. And this is where we want to go and we need you. And, and we spend fairly a, a lot of time doing that. I like the idea of, of coming in with the vision component as well. In coming into this new organization, coming in with it with the fresh, fresh eyes, do you wish you'd done anything differently? Was, were there any mistakes that you made that you wish you'd done something differently? Or was it, did you, was it fairly smooth? About joining or yeah. about the work that I'm no, about, about the first kind of 30, 60 days coming in. You know, uh, maybe execute some organizational changes faster. Really? Uh, my, my gut uh, told me, you know, I executed some uh, very fast, but some, you know, your gut tells you to wait. And also, not only my, my gut told me to wait, also my mind, right? Because I think about making changes in the structure. I mean, if it's an emergency, you do it immediately, right? But if I have some time also to prepare either a substitute or a complement, it's a preferable way to me to make an organizational structure. So, so I also spend a fair amount of time recruiting the people that would help me articulate that organizational change faster. Interesting, because I would have thought that it's better to, to do it a little bit slower than faster. It's interesting to me that, um, that you thought that, it's, that faster is better. It's a mix. Uh, 
if I take a look at the organization when I join and I look at the organization that we have right now, I will not say it's completely different, but it's significantly different. The way we're thinking, for example, on how we approach our clients. Before, it was a little bit all over the place, and I started focusing uh, the commercial team to some accounts. And also an exercise to say no, right? You cannot do everything for everyone because you will do nothing. So right. that exercise uh, was hard with the commercial team. We are not there yet. And it's taking a lot of time. Other changes that I have done is uh, in functions that my sense was that they were very incipient. So when I arrived, they told me we have a marketing function. And when I spoke with the responsible for marketing, it was more like I'm using <laughs> MailChimp to send emails, right? Uh, so, so we are building that and, and, and beefing up marketing, which for me is very important because we really need to rethink the experience that we are trying to create to our customers. So how do you know which opportunities, to, how do you decide which opportunities to say yes to which opportunities to say no to, and then how do you decide even which projects to decide to go after? Like when, when you see so many opportunities and so many things that need to be done, how do you prioritize those? It's hard. And I have not a definite answer. We try to, I would say, maximize the potential value of the opportunity. So we prioritize uh, with that, but also with the probability to win. Uh, some opportunities are very big, but our likelihood of winning is not uh, as big as perhaps smaller opportunities because we have a very developed relationship with the client. So I would say those are the guiding principles. Having said that, it's difficult, right? There's a saying in, in Mexico, I, I will try to translate it, is ya que estamos. Since we are here, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And why don't we do that? Uh, so, so that is very tempting. And sometimes you have to say no. There's also the challenge when things are not going as planned and you have revenue pressure, you start saying more to more things and that also complicates things. How do you say no? Uh, it depends. And I, I, I would say sometimes I just say, let's uh, put that in the parking uh, lot. And for me, that freezes a little bit. The other way I, I use is to, for example, we have an innovation committee. And I say, let's uh, run that through the innovation committee. And let's see if we have the resources and the time to explore your ideas. A lot of uh, my colleagues have a lot of ideas. And sometimes, uh, even though my God says no, I say, hey, I don't want to uh, ruin your idea. Present a business case, a very simple business case. And let's see if we have the internal resources to explore that idea further. I like the decision making. Do you, when you have employees that come to you with ideas, how do you say no to them at times without discouraging them, without breaking their spirit? Do you have any kind of a system or a way to do that? I have been using the innovation committee because, uh, and let me put you an example. 
one of the recruiting team members approached me and actually spoke about a recruiting firm, firm from Canada that wanted our help to identify and recruit developers to uh, work in Canada. And I was like, mm, you know, that's not uh, at the core of what we do. For me, it's a little bit uh, outside. And she was like, no, but yes. And, and she was so eager that I told her, perfect. Go get uh, ready, assemble a business case, and let's see if you will have the bandwidth and if we will have the resources. In the end, we didn't, and we stopped that idea. Other ideas uh, are fairly simple to me, and we run them without the committee. So, for example, I ask um, building the MIS, Excel 95 rules, right? Uh, and we were using Excel, perhaps uh, 2000, not 95. So I was like, mm, you know, are we using uh, Google Sheets in the correct way? When was the last time you have training? And a girl sent me an email the next day and said, hey, we haven't had training, but this is a, an option for us to have training. Would you like uh, to join? And I say, of course. So we spent like six weeks learning about how to properly use Google Sheets. And they, they have seen an improvement because, as I told you, there was a lot of artisanal work. And, and this uh, very basic uh, training helped these teams. It makes no sense to me why companies don't train their people on the tools that we're using and why they assume that people know how to use these tools. Like I created a course called Invest in Your Leaders, and it's the 12 core skills that every manager and every leader need to be, to be good at. You know, every manager runs meetings. Most managers have never been trained on how to run a meeting. Every manager interviews people, and most managers have never been trained on interviewing. Every manager uses Google Sheets, and most people have never been trained how to use Google Sheets. It makes no sense. It's so simple, right? No sense. The same happened. Uh, we used another platform, HubSpot, and I started asking questions, and they were like, you know, I don't know. And, and I was like, when did you train? No, we have never trained. Never and trained. I was like, for me, sometimes there's a confusion between the tool and the result. And, and they say, no, but we are using the latest tool and it should work. And, and I prefer sometimes pen and paper or Excel, which work fairly well for almost everything, than a sophisticated tool that we do not know how to use. Yeah, it's, it's incredible how, you know, a shovel doesn't dig a hole, right? You have to pick up the shovel and use it. And there's more effective ways to use the tools. I'm curious about, about financial services. You said that you know, the financial services sector tends to be the sector that you sell into. Can you give us any lessons on what it's like to sell into that industry and how to sell successfully to that industry when it feels like at times that industry will say yes to every meeting but with no intention to ever sign a deal? How do you prevent yourself from wasting time? How do you know when the prospects are real or when the prospects are just corporate dragging you along, you know? Whoa, uh, it's fascinating. And, and one of the things that I tell my team a lot is protect your time and know how to use every minute of your day very thoughtfully. I don't know if, if they like me or not, but every time I am saying, what's your objective? Because if I don't know the objective of a meeting, it will be like a social chatter and it will be amazing, but we will not achieve anything. 
So I am always telling them, you need to know what you need from the client. What are you going to tell them? So, so this is uh, just a preview on, on, on answering your question. The financial services industry, my guess, and, and perhaps uh, it's not only my guess, the facts support this, is the biggest uh, spender in technology in all the industries. So it's wow. impressive. You look at big banks in the U.S. and they spend billions of dollars in technology in, in a year. Sure. So what we have been seeing is that technology is not only being bought by the technology uh, function. More and more what we are seeing is that business is participating in the decision of buying a technology. Of course, they need to work uh, paired with technology because in the end, technology will need to implement that. But more and more, we are seeing that business is saying, hey, I might need this, uh, please explore this. And then technology comes with different options. So the first challenge is we now have more buyers and we need to craft different value propositions for each of the clients. For example, for me, one of the things that we are working on is always building a business case, right? You are buying this tool to achieve what? Uh, and, and that helps the business people asking for that technology. Whereas for the technology people, sometimes it's, you will not have more headaches. It's an easy to install. Uh, it, it's compatible with what you already have. It, it's the same story, but with different highlights. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting. It also becomes a little bit of a strategic sell where you're trying to sell into different business areas, right? You've got maybe the finance and operations or marketing, like you've got different groups that you're selling into. Um, and to complement uh, your question, I also want to mention that in Mexico and LATAM, personal relationships are very uh, strong in the buying. And, and we have different uh, flavors for that. Uh, there are some salespeople that go from launch to launch to launch and they achieve their quota. There are some people that never take a launch with a customer and also achieve quota. But personal relationships are, are also very important. Uh, whereas in other cultures, I would say those are not as important. Where do Americans or you know North Americans... Where do we approach doing business with Mexican companies wrong? How do we do it wrong? Um, and it's funny, as, as I asked the question, I looked in front of me, I'm, I'm at an Airbnb, and the book in front of me is called Tacopedia, the Taco Encyclopedia. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, I don't know. I think that... There's a new generation, and, and let me step back. There are mm. a couple of neighborhoods here in Mexico City in which you listen primarily to English. And working from Mexico has become a trend, but also is something that a lot of people are doing. Uh, we have our Soho version. It's called La Condesa y La Colonia Roma. I was there last Friday having a breakfast. All the tables around me were speaking English. So I think this new generation is more open to living uh, the good and the bad things of Mexico, right? And perhaps we don't have the logistics or, or the transportation facility that the US or Europe has, but we have our own unique flavor of standing in a taco stand in the, in the street 
and that is appealing to, to some people, right? But we also have very high-end restaurants and, and foodies from around the world come to experience them. So my sense is that there's more opening to the difference and living with the difference. Uh, from a more institutional uh, side, I think that companies for a long time, if I think about big manufacturing or big pharma or even the banking industry, uh, has seen Mexico as a big opportunity. Having said that, they still have uh, some concerns. And I would say that overall, the primary concern is security. I love this a lot. Okay, I want to ask a quick couple of questions just around your growth. Um, you joined the COO Alliance as a member. We have this network of second commands from all over the world. What was your reason for joining the COO Alliance? And what have you started to pick up from, from your time that you've been a member so far? Or what are you hoping to learn? I love to learn. So I, I love to learn. Uh, I love to listen to different things. I think that the COO Alliance allows me the opportunity to connect with different perspectives. I think that uh, going back to one of the points that, that you mentioned, most of the times you listen to the CEO, but not to the COO. And I think it's not a bad thing to learn from others that are in, in your role with practical things. Uh, so that was uh, what excited me about. Also, what I have been doing is, for example, I look into a budget resource that you have online, and that get me thinking on how to plan my budget for this budget uh, cycle, right? So I have been using the, the resources. I am still in the process of connecting with my group. I think that earlier today I received the, the email for us to have our, our forum. Both uh, Armando and Gonzalo, uh, the co-CEOs, participate in YPO and entrepreneur organization, I think. And, and they told me, hey, we love our forum. It's a great space to have like very intimate conversations mm -hmm. with peers that have experience in similar challenges as, as you have. Uh, and that was also some of the things, uh, some, uh, a very important thing that pushed me to, to join. I like it a lot. Okay, I want to go back to the 22-year-old Rodolfo. I'd sure. like you to give yourself some advice as if you were 22 years old, maybe advice that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known at a much younger age. Read a lot. Write a lot. I think that writing, uh, more and more, it's becoming a skill that it's not as highlighted as, as it should be. Uh, going back to the training that we were speaking, right? Even shooting an email is very important and, and you need to know what to write. So read a lot, write a lot. And the other day, I, I was actually speaking with my wife about uh, my stress, right? And, and I think that over the years, perhaps I am maturing. I don't know. You need to ask her. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that a lot of the things that I used to worry, like 80% never came to happen, but mm -hmm. they were in the back of my mind, right? And it was a constant uh, worry. No, uh, I might get fired because I'm doing this. So the other thing is just take a step back, breathe deep, and 
go to the future with confidence instead of just trying to outthink yourself every time you're trying to do something. I like that a lot. I, I read a lot, write a lot, but I love just relax and surrender to it because, yeah, a lot of our worries never really ever materialize. Rodolfo, thank you so much for sharing with us. The COO of Link, Linkos Tech Solutions from Mexico, super, super appreciative of your time and your wisdom that you shared today. Oh, it was a pleasure and thanks for the opportunity, Cameron. I will see you at our next event as well. Thanks, Rodolfo. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com. 